Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Really enthused today about my guest. So my guest is Dr. Thomas Black. Uh, Dr. Black is a is he's the president of 24 Hour Physician Group um, with Baylor Scott and White Health. Uh, he's also the managing partner at Nepali Capital. He's going to tell you about what he's been up to. Really interesting background, really interesting perspective in healthcare. Uh, but I'm not going to steal his thunder. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Anthony. Glad to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so Thomas, maybe you can start off telling us a little bit about what led you to become the person you are today. Tell us sure. about your origin story. What, well, what are those yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a long but not so distinguished story. Um, so, I grew up in uh, a small town in Fort Worth. Um, a horrible, horrible student. Uh, barely graduated high school, like low C student. Um, in fact, on my SAT. I think I, you know, I scored a, I think you get 400 for writing your name on it at the time. And I got a 720, I think. So nice. I'll never forget telling people, oh, I got this. And they would always answer by saying, well, what section? And I was like, no, no, that Overall. was all. <laughs> so, um, you know, having limited options, I uh, joined the military right out of high school. And that was something that was kind of an eye opener for me. I was on a destroyer for three and a half years, saw the world. Uh, was on a uh, thing called a VBSS team, which is a visit board search and seizure where I would go over to different uh, ships and things looking for contraband dressed after the first Gulf War. And I uh, had an incident out there that something clicked and I said, you know what, I'm going to be a doctor. Uh, it, it was kind of a revelation. I remember getting back to port and calling my father and my mom and I were on the phone. I said, you know what, I've decided to be a doctor. And the laugh that my father let out, will, will <laughs> that was the, the thing that wrote it home to me to say, how dare you laugh at me? So, you know, I started taking night courses uh, while I was in port, did very well, got out um, uh, in, in Seattle when I was there and moved from Seattle back to uh, back to Texas. And, mm-hmm. and uh, three years, graduated the top of my class in undergrad, then went on to medical school, um, you know, graduated the top of my class in med school and as AOA, which is, you know, kind of a marker of, uh, of how you do. Um, ended up deciding to go into emergency medicine, um, trained at uh, Indiana University, um, ended up coming back to Texas to medical school. And at that time, the economy had changed so much. It was right around the 2000, 2008, 2009, and I couldn't sell my house in Indianapolis. So oh, wow. it to an incoming resident. And that lit a fire that I didn't know that would be burning for quite some time. So I started uh, practice out in a Democratic group out in the East Texas area. Um, and very quickly, I, I realized that, that, it, that medicine, I, I looked at medicine very differently when I was actually boots on the ground. Um, I took things very much to heart and, you know, working in an extremely busy ER at the time um, was the pinnacle. It was kind of the tip of the spear for that Um, and quickly realized that uh, after about three, four years that it wasn't something I could do long term and sustain and found myself, um, you know, not only in my family doing things differently, uh, but how I treated my patients and things. So I realized and saw the writing on the wall and started buying houses um, and using those at rentals and trying to supplement my in- my income so that I could really essentially work less. And it, it, you know something caught fire and I bought some land and I did a development. Uh, I then uh, 
you know, built an apartment complex in that small town that I was in and, uh, and did very, very well on it and ended up resigning my practice just because I got to the point where I was working 17, 18 shifts, which doesn't sound like much to most people. Right. But when you add that up with the six nights in a row, it really was 25, 26 days a month. Um, of constantly flipping the schedule. And then the trauma and everything really started to get to me and, and a lot of the loss. So resigned my practice. Um, I was fully vested in, in a group out there and moved to a larger MSA in the Dallas area. Um, took over the operations of a, a really small hospital. And as my finance and real estate love grew, so did my kind of knowledge about healthcare administration and how, how, how the business model of Profis really blended with um, the emergency department and hospital operations for facility fees. So as that knowledge grew, my administrator understanding really got better. And so I then eventually became the uh, regional director of a facilities and then took over as the president of the group. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got a really interesting, unique perspective of both the physician side and of the administrator side when it comes to the finances and the rev cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so ultimately, my passion out of that grew in Duna Poly Capital, uh, which now we've got uh, about $160 million under management of multifamily and hotel assets um, and have raised about $42 million in equity over the past past two years. Nice. Nice. So no, this is great. But that was that yeah. was a good nutshell. So. Well, I'm kind of curious on like... Uh, A strong passion that I can latch on to. I'm kind of like more a direct personality. So like when I see something that a passion and I see applying excellence in that direction of a value, then I will. But if I, if I see if it's like a thing that gets you to a thing like high school, usually high school is right. Right. Um, what was it for you though? Is it because you weren't interested in a lot of things and until you, you got, um, you interacted with the medical side that really kind of turned your, turned your mind on and got yeah. you engaged. You know, I would say it's really, and this is probably somewhat embarrassing in a revolution that I, I don't tell too many people, that I think it was it was that it was that goal oriented ability to say what's really hard out there. Okay, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. And I don't think most people understand what that truly means. We all get right. that pipeline, and by the time we know what it means, we look back and right. think, "Oh my God, now I'm so far down, and I can't stop." And yeah. so it really, it really causes really a lot of dissatisfaction with a lot of physicians if you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. Because right, if it's money, it, it's not the right thing. And unfortunately, as a society, we picture doctors as being very wealthy and rich, which is cannot be any further from the truth. Right, right. And so I think early on, that was probably it. It was probably this cool, sexy idea, you mm -hmm. know, get into med school. Then it becomes about the next thing and I would achieve the next thing. And it wasn't until residency where I was actually practicing medicine. I thought, well, what's next? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the next goal? How do I, what do I achieve next? And although clinical excellence is certainly something you can achieve and I was very adept at an adept clinician, um, I didn't feel like there was something, there was no, there was never another stepping stone. And so I found myself out there kind of wandering, like, you know, first two years in practice, I'm thinking this is it. Like, get up, I go to work, and I come home, I treat patients. This can't be life. And it soon consumed me that I was looking for other things. And I finally started after 35 years, I finally understood who I was. And right. It wasn't, it didn't mesh really well. Um, I liked certain aspects of it, but certain aspects were very hard on my personality that, you know, a lot of patient feedback, things like that, that I tend to, tend to take to heart, really... Um, really ended up changing things for me dramatically. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I know it's, it's super interesting. Um, 
No, I appreciate that as well. Uh, you know, it does, it does, you know, well, I guess what you're doing right now is also pretty interesting as well. Cause it's led you kind of like to increase your goals and difficulty, but to probably a greater extent benefit. Cause you're kind of collaborate, you know, you're, you're combining, uh, executive management, the MD side with, with investment and investment mindset. So definitely if there's a trophy I can give you, it's definitely the most unique, you know, background and skill set I've seen in this space. So I'm sure you get that, you know, you're definitely like a unicorn in this healthcare space. Oh, I guess sure. along, along those lines, I'm kind of curious on how these, how at least the two worlds come. Then also the managed director of Napoli, like tell me a little bit about how those two worlds work together. How do they work together? And what, what are you working on today that really has your, your passion and fixation? Like why yeah. is this combination so unique and important to you? Well, I still have a, a big passion for, you know, I don't practice so much clinically anymore because right. I, when I took the practice over about four years ago, there was a lot of issues. I had to replace about 35 FTEs with, with physicians that mm. during this freestanding boom. And if you know about much about freestanding emergency departments, they really hit this critical mass and it was really difficult to get labor. And right. during that time, I was able to successfully recruit, I think, 20, 29 physicians that are all EM trained and really prop this practice up. So from the ground up, I redid that. And that was a passion. But once it got to the refinement stage, yeah, the actual medical. So it was more about building the rough. It, it was and I look at it as a skyscraper, right? You, you want to go really deep and have big, long, deep piers before you can start to go vertical. But by the time I build the foundation, I start going vertical. Once the building's done. I'm not as good as looking at the small little accoutrements and refining what's around. As long as the structure right. is stable, I'm very good when it comes to that. But then when it comes to the nuances, um, you know, I, I enjoy looking at the budget. I enjoy the variances and I like looking at the rev cycle, which is not something that most physicians really know. Right. And with physician executives, you know, I love debt leverage and finance and I love looking at the, <laughs> at the budgets because to me, it's an, it's an attaining a goal. And so that's yeah. how I look at it. Because once I attain that goal, then I'm like, okay, what's next? <laughs> Let's yeah. look at the metrics on this. So um, how it how it plays into the other is Nepali was really formed um, to kind of lessen the financial burden on physicians because I felt like if I could figure out, you know, how how can I be happy at the time where I was, how can I be happy practicing medicine and still making a lifestyle that I expected as a physician to not have these golden handcuffs? Because we all get in there and we start grinding away. And the next thing you know, you're buying these things that you don't need because you expect you're supposed to be in this position. Well, then you're locked because then you're just working like a dog and you're, you're, you know, you're trading time for money. Yeah. So what I quickly figured out is if I could have this, these other streams of passive income coming in, well, then I could say, hey, I only need to work 12 shifts. I'm okay with that. I don't need to run myself ragged. I'm much happier of a person going to Little League and to, you know, going this, this and that and having my weekends or, or a normal time and a normal life, which unfortunately is is what I feel like is causing it. It's, you know, it's expectations of physicians and what their life is going to be. And then finance are big, two large things that are leading to burnout. Right. Um, we can get off into EMRs and all kinds of different things that we can we can blame on that. But at the end of the day, it's expectation. Right. It's, it's satisfaction with daily life. And so we formed the company really that was designed to that to be able to give an opportunity for physicians and other other folks that we have in the funds to be an owner, whether it's multifamily or it's a hotel asset, to be able to get passive depreciation in that and a percentage of ownership almost akin to a medical practice prior to Stark laws and things where 
you had an ability to practice an ability, you own the real estate and you had something there at the end of the day. Um, you know, now when you're going and you're in a W-2 employee, yes, you've got your income, but you really don't have anything other than your, you know, your SEP or your 401k at the end of the day, which we all know that ain't going to get you there. Right. Um, and so we formed the company. It's been immensely successful because then we give out, you know, we'll, we'll partner with all of our, um, our physicians and or engineers and things that we have in the funds. And we distribute it almost, you know, as an investment fund. And so right. opening doctors' eyes to depreciation and, and the real tax rules and how really to leverage appropriately has been an absolute blast for me. And so that's become my passion. I love it. Yeah. I love it. No, it's it's great. It's a, it's a really exciting area that you're in. And uh, it, it's great to see that, you know, you're bringing uh, a refreshing paradigm, right, to, to you know, a lot a lot of burnout that is going on in this area. So it's really exciting to see that you put this mechanism together. Um, let me ask you a little bit about where you see healthcare going. So I'd love to hear your, your, your overall philosophy on the state of healthcare, what opportunities you see, what are some things that you feel that need to change. I'd just love to hear a little bit more on kind of like what you're seeing, what are the opportunities? Sure. Just love to listen to that. Yeah, uh, I've probably got, compared to most, most of your listening audience, I've probably got a very skewed view. Uh, being <laughs> a so I, I very well understand both sides of it. Um, I think we're we're on the midway of the cycle. I mean, everything's a pendulum, right? When you use yeah. physician ownership to hospital employee status or, or all the things that are going on with healthcare and insurance. Um, I think part of the problems is, you know, we're so segmented in, in clinical medicine that you have anesthesia, you have emergency medicine, you have OBGYN. Nobody can come up with a consensus. There is no power when you're fractured. Right. What happened over time is you look at private equity, for example. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with large medical groups like, you know, MCARE, uh, uh, Team Health, those. Right. I mean, most physicians don't realize that those are those are owned by private equity now. They're, you right. know, Blackstone, KKR. And when you get to the point where PE companies are investing in healthcare, that to me is a little scary. Um, yeah. Because margins, as we all know, the margins in healthcare are not good. I mean, it is a volume-driven business, and X plus Y plus you get under, you know, government intervention. Throw that in there; it's extremely complicated. Yeah. And to me, that's the scariest thing is when you have PE companies, you're buying physician groups, um, you know, anesthesia groups, gobbling up dermatology. You're seeing a loss of autonomy, and I hope that goes back the other way. Mm -hmm. Me, even though. You know, you have physicians that are doing very well that are selling their practices and getting out. But the people that are left over that don't have any autonomy, they don't realize that they're not going to have an autonomy at some point. Because once you're punching a clock, even if it's great money, it changes you. It changes right. you from the perspective that you're just an employee. And I know that sounds just sounds a bad thing, but um, doctors by nature, I don't and I'm sure you know, are not the easiest people to deal with, right? <laughs> we tend to be fairly opinionated folks. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, we think we're the smartest person in the room, which is not necessarily true. Right. Just because you can read books and you can memorize volumes of data doesn't necessarily make you a good businessman. I think that's been proven many, many times over. So I think it's kind of a scary state in healthcare traditionally. Yeah. Uh, when you see the loss of ownership, um, I think it changes culture. I'm very big on culture in my group. I think culture drives numbers, but the problem is, is it's not a tangible ROI. And that's right. the sad part. Right. Because when you have ownership, you can't see the data that makes a difference. You know, if you had an A group and a B group of a contract management or a group that's bought into that hospital, um, I think there's ways to do it, but ultimately the top doesn't look like that. 
um, they're going to look at the numbers and they're going to look at variances and want to know why and hold somebody accountable. I get it. I do that on my side. I, I leverage, you know, the multifamily and the operators of those in the ways that I can. Um, likewise, hospitals, uh, insurance companies leverage physicians. Right. Um, they just don't, most nine, tens, nine, nine out of 10 physicians just don't think about that or want to acknowledge that. Right. They're being uber leveraged. Yeah. Yeah. The sad thing is the liability falls on us. Uh, and a lot of the things are blamed that, the, that the, you know, the patients usually say, hey, it's not X, Y, and Z healthcare company, it's the doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, there's truth in both of those things. And so I think there's just an immense amount of gray area, but I don't see the road isn't quite real. You know, it's not that shiny for me as I see it. Right. Um, I love to be able to give back to that community and make them understand. Because I think once you relay that to them and you, you get a doctor to understand this is what the administrator is doing and, and own that, mm-hmm. usually the light bulb goes on and they say, oh, OK, I understand that. Um, it's either that or the other 20% get angry and they just refuse. And those, right. are the, those are the type C personalities you're probably never going to change anyway. So. And no, super, super interesting. I'm right there with you in the, in the, the opportunities. And yeah, some of those, the, what you're seeing in this space, well, it makes a lot of people nervous. I guess, tell me a little bit about the future of healthcare. So where, where do you, what are some things that you see that have some promise to them that could kind of correct some of these things? Is it models in which you're like doing it in the poly capital? Tell me about the, your, your, your optimistic future of healthcare. healthcare in general, according to Thomas. <laughs> I mean, those are, those are, they're two very separate things. Um, you know, I just hope that Nepali really gives an opportunity to physicians just to do less um, and to be to be have more job satisfaction. Right, right. Reduce somebody's workload a little bit with that same expectation and go to work. Great, I've done my thing, and I love right. it. Both both goes on because then you've met an expectation and they understand it. Right. I think healthcare in general. I think that you're going to continue to see disruption. I think you're going to see telemedicine come on. I think that's been proven. I think you're going to see more models as you see micro hospitals and things go. I think you're going to continue to see that trend. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of. I think the telemedicine is good and is bad. I mean, if you're if you're a medical purist, um, mm-hmm. you want that interaction and you want to be able to sit at the bedside. I don't know if that's going to meet our needs going forward, though. That's the problem. Right. Right. There's, there's not enough. Uh, there's not enough people being trained. You know, even if you start to talk about the APPs, you know, advanced practice providers being able to fulfill some of that role. Um, I, I firmly believe there's a role there. Um, I just don't know if they completely, uh, if they completely fulfill a physician's role. That's that's the thing. And you know, ninety nine percent they can. It's the one percent of the time that gets you in trouble, like anything in life. Right. Right. Yeah. So, no, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Yeah. It's it's really fascinating what's going on. But yeah, you do see some opportunities here. You know, in the space, uh, Thomas. Let me ask you about. Um, well, I guess I have one more question. Uh, for you before I ask it, what's a good way for our listeners to get in touch with you if they would like to do so? Sure. It's uh, the easiest way is through our business account. Um, or okay. Capital. It's Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, at Napolicap, N-A-P-A-L-I-C-A-P.com. Um, otherwise, also, you know, just my Gmail is fine, which is ThomasBlackMD at gmail.com too. So either of those work. Perfect. Perfect. No, thanks for that. And so, you know, my last question here is, um, you know, you're in healthcare. Um, interested to hear about a, a, a routine, a morning routine or a weekly routine that really works for you that keeps the engine going. Obviously, you're working on a lot of things. Just love to 
see if there's something that you're doing. Is there a special smoothie recipe or a, you know, um, a, a special uh, yoga breathing technique that really uh, jazzes you up? Uh, no, every week? I, I would say I am big, 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 big on culture. Yeah. In the physician group. And that's what's worked for me. I mean, I have no attrition whatsoever you know, uh -huh. of, of docs leaving the group. And it's because my passion is really their lifestyle. And I know mm -hmm. that sounds funny is, you know, I very seldom, I would rather pay for somebody a little bit more to, to be able to have that doc take vacation and things in order for the group to be very happy. So my one routine is, is I have, I have eight facilities that I, that I direct over, um, and several medical directors. So my routine is every week, you know, I'm always following up the medical directors, but we'll, we'll do things outside the box. Like we'll go to top golf, we'll do things like that. So it's very important to me to get physicians outside their own heads and to not get wrapped up in the culture or, or the administration versus the versus the clinical side. Got if it. You understand what's going on inside of administrators or the financial side. Nine times out of ten, they'll understand why they're doing what they're doing. The problem that I've always seen is when they don't. You know, they want X, Y, or Z, and they just want to say they want it. They don't want to understand why they can't get it. And so I see right. a lot of times it's bridging the gap and making them understand that, you know, it's not always financial. There's always a reason whether it's a, you know, it, you know, it could be a legal issue. So I spend a lot of time circling up with the leaders that I know that are effective, that can trickle that down. Right. Um, and, and that's really where I spend most of my time. It's very important to me and communication is extremely important to me. Um, acknowledgement. I mean, we just had uh, uh, National Doctors Day and it always cracks me up that we always, always make this big ordeal about nurses week and, I, and no facility that I've ever worked at ever has ever acknowledged doctor's day. Uh -huh. And I think that's really weird to me. Huh. Um, the delivery of healthcare is at the bedside. And sometimes we really forget that that's where it begins. It ends and we get wrapped up in the numbers and what's going to become what's next. But if you're not taking care of that guy and that woman that's sitting there and at least acknowledging it. Right. <clears throat> and, and it doesn't take much. Right. It's a phone call and a thank you. Right. Just, let me acknowledge this. So it was on a Saturday this year. So I called every facility, ordered every facility pizza, just saying thank you very much. Because yeah. while you're there, it's Saturday. You know, you've probably never been thanked for being a doctor. And that's and it's it, it's amazing when you just do very small things. Yeah. Because you care. So I do that much better for my doctors than I actually do probably for my patients. And that's my goal. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah but that's so important though it you know isn't it funny though how it's so hard to do the easy things and simple things sometimes like it, it, it gets in the way somehow you, you rationalize as a leader sometimes it's like uh well i'm paying them so that should be enough you know and that you know i, I i've exactly. said thank you i've said thank you and that should be enough but that's the it, biggest killer of culture it's the little it's the little extra thing you need to do you really need to do it you know and I think we think, oh, wow, they're making a really great salary. Well, they are arguably, yes. You know, we, we right. very well, we very well compared to the population. But you look at just the pervasive mindset that's in that community. Um, it doesn't take much. It's not right. that it takes. Um, I'm a firm believer in handwritten notes, too. That's one thing. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Um, I, I, I will always type emails. But if it's something big or that it needs to be acknowledged, that it's a kind of a bravo kind of a thing, um, I'll write a note. I've always felt that, that helps because you're taking the extra time yeah. and it's always gone over very, very well. And that's it, how, how interesting is it? It's like sometimes doctors have so many accolades or just people in general, but you know, I know like I run a company as well, but you know, we're big on recognition as well. And so you find that, you know, it's been so long since people have had a panel. Yeah.
do it in public, do it authentic. And, um, you know, people aren't, you know, these people will never starve, right? Um, so everyone's always going to get rewarded, but the recognition requires the level of empathy and thoughtfulness. Yeah. And sometimes well, it takes time to do it at scale. Like handwritten notes can take a long time, but gosh, how that goes a long way, you know, if you really care about the time to do it. Because in, in the culture we're in and in, in the current culture with social media and things, you, you don't, as a physician, at least on the emergency medicine side. Now, I think it's very different when you have an, you know, sure. a, relationship, a longstanding relationship with either a primary care or any number of things, but it's a very thankless kind of a life, you know, especially yeah. in a single coverage place. Um, all you're seeing is these Prescanies that come back and, and let's be honest, most of them, most people don't take the time and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Whether you go to a hotel and have great service, it's your expectation. Right. Your expectation though, especially in medicine, isn't congruent with reality at all. I mean, unless right. you're, you didn't understand that. So your expectation coming in is X, standard of care is usually Z. Yeah. And so that, that mindset for patients is also very good. It takes a very skilled person to go in there and, and be able to have that interaction, a very brief interaction and do well, especially when they're expecting something. Um, and so we work on that a lot with, you know, our press gainies are well above 90% in all our facilities. And that's something we really concentrate on because as long as you can figure out how to bridge that expectation and, and acknowledge it up front, then usually you can take care of it. And right. that's, that's a big key with physicians too is, What's their expectation? I mean, yes, right. they're getting money and they're getting paid, but they still want to like and be liked. They're right. not like anybody else. Right. They want to feel like they're being leveraged. Right. I mean, the biggest thing, I think, we are a commodity, 100%. We're yeah. becoming a commodity. But don't treat us like commodities. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you can say you love you to the front, you know, say I love you this and that. You can do different things behind the back, but as long as you're not treating a physician outright like a commodity, I think that goes so far. Yeah, it's got to be sincere. It's got to be authentic. It's got to, it yeah. It really yeah. does. It's very, very important. Thomas, this was great to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. And, and go a little bit deeper on some of these elements. And so thanks again for, so a couple of things. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for making time. Pleasure. To our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone with a strong passion for making people healthier in the world. And uh, yeah, Thomas, this was great. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was really awesome. I appreciate being on. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks.